Well, howdy. Feels like a long time since I've been up here. Maybe because uh, it's been a pretty long time since I've been up here, and, and uh, a lot has happened. Uh, we had a whole series called Becoming Human, which was amazing. I want to thank everybody that spoke in that series, from uh, Maddie and Lucas to Nathan and George, Corinne and Pauline. And last week we had the former president of Trinity Western University, Bob Kuhn, speak. So uh, thank you so much to all of you for reminding us that even in our frailty— God is still faithful. In, in fact, maybe especially in our frailty. We come to this point where we're reminded that there are parts of our lives that really are beyond our control and that we rely completely on a God who is actually completely in control. So a lot happened since I was up here the last time. Uh, for example, I became a grandpa. Okay? And, uh, yeah, yeah. I have a... I have a 32-picture slideshow, which will uh, pretty much serve as the sermon portion of today's. Uh, uh, that's uh, Noah Gray. He's amazing. Um, yeah, there's Tori and Josh. And uh, one more. <laughs> Come on, man. He's w- way better looking than your grandkid. <laughs> and I have the mic, so there you go. Little, one little tiny concern, um, maybe you can just keep in the back of your mind for thoughts and prayers, is he has yet to dribble a basketball, which is a bit of an issue for us, but uh, we're getting by. So about five months ago, I was sitting around in my office kind of praying and thinking about what series we should launch on August 11th of 2019, today. And God gave me an answer, but to understand the answer that he gave me, I think you would need to know this, that um, stories are a big deal to me. In fact, I would go as far as to say that I think stories are a big deal to this church. There's so much power in story, you know? Like, we're, we're all connected in the fact that every single person here today, young or old, man or woman, we all have a story. And I really love stories. Like, if, if you and I were sitting down right now across the table having uh, lunch, maybe a burger, maybe a wrap, Salad, does it really matter what we're having for lunch? I thought you might want to know. What, what would happen is I would want to hear your story. And if you told me something like this, um, man, when I was growing up, things got crazy. I would ask you a simple question. I would ask it over and over again in our conversation. The question I would ask you would be, example? Oh, man, I made so many <laughs> crazy decisions when I was a teenager. Example? My 20s were difficult. Example? Man, lots of ups and downs in my life. Example, I I just want to know. Like, I I find so much encouragement and inspiration comes from just hearing someone else's story. That's why why I love to hear stories. I I love to read books when people tell stories. I love to listen to speeches where people share their stories. And you say, well, I don't really have much of a story to tell, or there's portions of my life that aren't really worth telling. I would say that at the very least, your life might be a cautionary tale, you know, example of what not to do in portions, right? There's always something we can get from a story. And I was thinking about the fact that the Bible tells stories, but not every story. Does that make sense? Like, there's there's billions of people who have walked through history, and yet we read in God's Word in the Bible that God chose a select group of men and women to tell their stories. And and, and I think I know why. I think the reason is, is that God is writing a story on the pages of history, and that story is called redemption. 
And God's plan for you and God's plan for me is that he would write a story on the pages of our lives. And that story would be called redemption. And then God hands us the pen and he invites us to write our redemption story. I'm not really writing anything right now, but let's just pretend I was. Okay, on the pages of his story. And I really believe that when you, when you look at the Bible and you look at the stories of these ordinary yet extraordinary men and women, you see an example of how God might work in my life to write this story called redemption. And so the guy that I want to talk about in this series is someone that maybe if you grew up going to Sunday school, you might have heard of him before, but I'll bet you you've never heard a sermon or even a series preached on Samuel. One of the nicknames given to Samuel is King Maker because he was the man God chose to anoint the first two kings of Israel, King Saul and King David. He's also known as the last judge and the first prophet in the nation of Israel. And to understand that, I'm going to have to give you some context. To give you some context, I'm going to go back a little bit. In fact, I'll go back right to the beginning. So you're going to have to listen fast. Are you ready? In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke the universe into existence, and at the pinnacle of creation, God placed people. People made in his image, men and women. And he gave us free will because he wanted to have a relationship with us. But way back on page three of the Bible, you see that the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, they exercised their free will by walking away from God's will. And I want you to think about that just for a second because God is the unmade maker. God is the uncreated creator. God is the sustainer and the creator of life. And when you walk away from him, inevitably you are walking towards darkness, defeat, and despair. And yet that's the decision that Adam and Eve made way back on page 3 of the Bible. The devil was in the Garden of Eden with them disguised as a serpent and he tempted them to walk away, to break away from God. And so God shows up in the Garden of Eden and he says, because of what you've done, Adam and Eve, I got some bad news and I got some good news. Here's the bad news. Um, things are going to get bad. Defeat, despair, and darkness as you walked away from me. And then God says, but here's the good news. Listen to this. Way back on page three of the Bible, God says, I have some good news. And the good news is uh, uh, things eventually will get better. Redemption. Redemption. Page three of the Bible, God introduces his redemption, his redemption plan. He looks at the serpent and he says, one day you will be crushed. One day wrongs will be made right. One day loss will be found. One day ashes will be beauty. One day darkness will tremble and hope will rise. God introduces his redemption story way back on page three. That's the Bible, by the way. The, the Bible is just a record of God's redemption story and how it plays out through all of human history. So just as God said, things got worse. Darkness, defeat, and despair. To the point that uh, it says eventually that if you looked around the whole world, everything was completely evil and completely violent. And so God decides to destroy the earth by sending a catastrophic flood. But he spares Noah, a man named Noah and his family, along with two of every type of animal so that they can begin again. And so for 40 days and 40 nights, God sends rain and, and the earth floods, but eventually the flood waters recede and Noah and his family walk out of the ark. And God says to Noah and his family, he says, you and your descendants, here's your job, spread out across the world. 
and have dominion over my creation. You know, you know what dominion means? Dominion means take loving care of what I've made. But Noah and his descendants don't do that. You know what they did? They all stayed in one spot instead, and they made a city called Babylon. And eventually they, re- they, they, they built a tower called Babel. And the reason that they built this tower called Babel was to make a name for themselves. And if you study history at all, what you will note is that when people set out to make a name for themselves, it's always at the expense of other selves. If I want to make a name for me, usually it's going to cost you. If we want to make a name for us, usually it's going to cost them. So God scatters them geographically and linguistically. And it's part of his redemption plan, you know? Because he's scattering them all so one day he can gather them in again under this blanket of redemption. 250 years after the Tower of Babel, God speaks to a man named Abram. He says, Abram, I want you and your wife Sarai, I want you to leave your home, I want you to leave your family, I want you to leave everything familiar, and I want you to set off to a far off distant land, a land that I will show you, Abram. And I'm gonna build a great nation of you. Incidentally, it's important to note that God's redemption plan is, about, is going to now run through a specific nation of people, one day leading to the redeemer of this redemption. And God's gonna begin it with a man named Abram. It says, Abram, I'm going to build a great nation of you. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. Which is an odd thing for God to say because at that time, Abram and his wife Sarai were really old and they had no kids. But they trusted God. And they set off to that far off distant land. And one day, decades later, the fruition of God's promise, they had a son named Isaac. That was the beginning of the great nation that God promised that all nations on earth would be blessed through this one nation. And then Isaac gets old and he marries this woman named Rebekah. And Rebekah and Isaac have twin sons, Jacob and Esau. And God blessed Jacob. So much so, in fact, that God gave Jacob a new name. God gave Jacob the name of Israel. It's the first time in the Bible that we read the word Israel. And Jacob, or Israel had 12 sons. One of his sons' name was Joseph. Joseph was annoying. Joseph's brothers hated him for three main reasons. Number one, his dad favored Joseph over all the other kids. Number two, Joseph was a bragger. You know, he came up to his brothers one day and said, weird thing, just realized one day you guys are all going to bow down to me. Brothers don't like when you say stuff like that to them, so they didn't like that very much. And, And the third reason was Joseph was a tattletale. And like every time he caught his brothers doing something wrong, he would run home to dad and get them in trouble. So they did not like Joseph at all. So one day no one was around and his brothers were there and they saw Joseph and they decided to kill him. They beat him to death almost. But just before they beat him all the way to death, they, they thought, hey, we can make some money off this. Let's, let, let's, let's sell him to, to slavers instead. And so they did and Joseph became a slave in Egypt. Things went really well for Joseph at first, but one day in a scene like right out of desperate housewives of Cairo. You know, you should read the Bible. It's amazing. Joseph gets thrown into jail, and he starts the world's first prison ministry. And because of Joseph's prison ministry, one day he gets let out of jail, elevated to second in command over all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh. And God uses Joseph, actually, to save Egypt from this catastrophic famine. Here's what's crazy. Not just Egypt. Israel, too. 
Because wouldn't you know it, one day, Joseph's brothers come to Egypt looking for food. They're starving. The whole family, the nation of Israel is starving, and they bow. They don't even know it's Joseph. They bow down before him, just like he said they would. And Joseph says, what you meant for evil, God's going to use for good. And so he, he saves the nation. They, they actually, <clears throat> Jacob and all his descendants, they move into Egypt, and things go really well. One day, Joseph eventually dies. And the generations pass, and a pharaoh rises up in Egypt that doesn't know Joseph and doesn't know what he did for Egypt. But he looks around, and, he, and, and this pharaoh looks at the Jewish people, and he says, man, they're having lots of babies. The population is growing. In fact, the, 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 these Israelites, they're having more babies than Egyptian people, and one day they're going to overrun us. So he comes up with a plan. He decides to make the Jewish people into slaves. And so for, for now, these Israelites, now their, their history becomes one of bondage and, 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 and abuse and even genocide. And so they cry out to God for help, and God answers their cry by sending a man named Moses. And Moses comes into Egypt, and, he, and, and, and through a series of miracles, God allows Moses to lead the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt through the Red Sea into freedom. They wander around in the wilderness for like 40 years because... They, they're still kind of got this slave mentality. They're grumbling all the time. They're not grateful. There were some of them that would even say, man, I, I liked it in Egypt better. We had better food, you know? And so eventually God has to kind of wait for them to get ready to, to take possession of the promised land. And so Moses dies, and a man, man named Joshua takes over. And Joshua leads the Israelites. This is crazy. He leads the Israelites back into the land that God had originally given to Abram. And they take possession of the promised land. Inch by inch, they fight for it until it's just about time for Joshua to die and he gathers all the people in and he gives them this speech. Listen, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and mine, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua dies. And things go sideways in a hurry. And so we enter this period of Israelite history of 430 years. It's called the period of the judges. And it kind of follows this consistent pattern. The Israelites compromise. They don't do what Joshua suggested. They don't follow the Lord, and they end up su subjected to the rule of other nations, the Philistines, the Amorites. And then they cry out to God, and God sends a judge, a man or a woman anointed by God to deliver them, and God delivers them, and then they go sideways again, and they, get com they compromise again. They end up subjected again, and they cry out to God again for 430 years. It's just chaotic. And it's into this history that Samuel was born, the last judge, and the first prophet of Israel. And his story is told in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Let me read. There was a certain man. There was a certain man from Ramathim, a Zephite from the hill country. You just read it really quick and they don't know that you don't know how to pronounce it. Of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jerohom, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zeph. There was a certain man. We're only going to get through one verse today. Can you believe it? One verse. Because five months ago I sat in my office and I thought to myself, I need this, you need this. There was a certain man. There was a certain man. You know, so the Bible doesn't say some guy 
had a kid named Samuel. No, there was a certain man. There was a certain man. And, and I need you to know today, more than anything else, what I want you to walk out of here knowing today is this. There is a certainty to you. There is a specificity to you. You are not just some guy. You are not just some woman. Over the last few weeks, I've talked to so many people, young and old, from all walks of life, doctors, lawyers, laborers, doing all kinds of things. And over and over and over again, I hear this notion. I hear this theme. I'm just some guy. I'm just some girl, nothing special about me. And I will tell you that the same serpent that talked to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is speaking to you if you think that. It's a lie. You're not some guy. You're not some girl. There is a specificity to you. There is a purpose to you. There is a plan for you. And I'll tell you what's crazy is this. The single greatest determining factor that will decide whether you live out the plan that God made for you, is whether you think he's got a plan at all. You got a sermon to preach. Did you know that? It's a way bigger deal than what's happening right now. You got a sermon to preach. You say, I'm not a preacher. Your life is a sermon. So preach it. And the single greatest determining factor that will decide whether you preach the sermon that you were born to preach is whether you think you got a sermon to preach at all. Your life is a story, so live it. There is a story for you, so live your story. And I'll tell you something crazy. The single greatest determining factor that will decide whether or not you tell the story that you were created to tell is whether or not you believe that you have a story at all. Too many people walking around in the world today going, I'm just some guy, it's a lie. There's a specificity to you, there's a certainty to you. A few weeks ago, Corinne got up here and she said, um, there's, there's dark areas of history that you were sent to shine light into. And I believe that to be true. And the single greatest determining factor that will decide whether you shine the light that you were created to shine is this. Do you believe that you could shine at all? See, people count by tens and hundreds and thousands. God always counts by one, by one, by one, by one. He sees you. He, love you. he loves you. He's for you right now. You got a sermon to preach. And we all lose if you don't preach. You got a story to tell, and we all lose if you don't tell it. The single greatest factor that will determine whether or not you tell the story that you were born to tell is this do you believe that you have a story at all? Say, what's spiritual warfare, Mike? I can't describe it all to you today, but I'll tell you what part of it is. It's that voice that keeps telling you that you don't matter, that you're just some guy, that you're just some girl. It's a, it's a lie. The second king of Israel, King David, wrote this in Psalm 139. He starts out by saying, God, you've searched me, and you know me. I'm an open book to you. 
Even from a distance, you know what I'm thinking. You know when I leave and when I get back, I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. Then up ahead and you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much. It's too wonderful. I can't take it all in. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how it was made bit by bit. How it was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watch me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even lived one day. Can I tell you something that's going to seem kind of crazy to you, but you need to hear it? If God had an iPhone, your picture would be his wallpaper. He said, it's crazy. There's billions of people in history. I know he's God. And he knows you. And he loves you. And he's crazy about you. And there's a specificity to you. Man, you have, a, you have a sermon to preach, so preach it. You got a story to tell, so tell it. The single greatest factor that will determine whether or not you tell the story that you were created to tell will be this. Do you even believe, have you even taken hold of the truth today that says, I have a story to tell today? You got a story to tell, so tell it. You say, well, Mike, I would believe it if you said to me, I had a story to tell, you know? A year and a half ago, that thing I did, that decision I made five years ago, that mistake, that what happened to me 12 years ago. Here's the amazing thing about God. Uh, his plan for you always starts when? Right now. Now, if I was God, you, I, I might disqualify you. Man, I can't believe you. I'm going to pick somebody else. I can't, I'm not picking her. Like, that mistake, no. That's not God. God's got a great story to tell with your life, and it starts right now. And really, it wouldn't be that big deal if you were just some guy, but you're not. It really wouldn't matter much if you were just some girl, but here's the truth. There's a specificity to you. There's a sermon that you were born to preach. And I think we radically alter the face of history if we would wake up every day and know that. It's amazing, too, you know, it talks about El Elkanah, who is Samuel's dad, and then it talks about his dad, and his dad, and his dad, and his dad. You know the parts of the Bible that you skim over when you're, when you're reading, you know, and so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, but there's something powerful we need to see there, that there's power in family. That the, the family you come from uh, profoundly affects the life that you live. I know for, for some of us that, that maybe sounds kind of hopeless, and I want to make sure I say this, I, God's a God of miracles. God's a God of miracles. I've seen him over and over again pluck people out of families that would say, oh, that's not going to look good, and he plucks them out, he puts their feet on solid ground. One of my favorite stories is a young couple that's been going to Southside as long as I can remember. They got married, and a couple years ago they had a baby girl. And you got to know something about this young couple. Both of them come from backgrounds. They come from families of anger and, 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 and neglect and, uh, and, and, and dysfunction. And a couple years ago, they had a baby girl. And right there in the hospital, just hours after their baby girl was born, they held hands in the hospital room and they, and they prayed this prayer. They said, Jesus, by your power, we are declaring Right now and right here with our baby girl in the next room, we are praying this, that the anger stops here, the dysfunction stops here, 
The, the, the addiction and the abuse and the neglect stops right here and right now. We're taking an ax to the root of our family tree. We're building a new tree. It's called life and hope and legacy. And God does that, but here's something you need to know. That the family you build, the family you build will profoundly impact the legacy that you leave. See, it wouldn't matter if you were just some guy. It wouldn't matter if you were just some girl, but you're not. You've got a story to tell. And that story will be profoundly impacted in the family that you build. So single people. Uh, who are you going to date? Can you just give me a name right now? Or Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> who are you going to marry? Sometimes I listen to people describe the kind of person they're looking for, and they go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And you know what? Like it just, the, my summary to their description is you just want someone who's hot. <laughs> you know? I talked to this guy the other day, and I'm like, man, she treats you horrible. She's mean to you in public. He's like, yeah, but she's hot. So is hell. Like, can, can, like can, 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 we, can we go a little deeper than that? Can, can, can we go a little bit deeper? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, want, I want to give you some thoughts. Number one, uh, you should date and you should marry someone who encourages you. Someone who encourages you. Courage. Speaks life. Speaks hope. Speaks vision into your life. Because I'm telling you, we got a whole world of people, and, and, and that serpent from the garden keeps whispering to them, saying, you're just some guy, you're just some girl. We need to be encouraged. The single greatest factor that will determine whether or not you tell the story that you were born to tell is whether or not you believe, whether or not you're able to take hold of the fact, the truth, that you do have a story. And You, you need someone who sees that, even when you don't at times. You know what I mean? I'm competitive. I'm a competitive person. <laughs> Last service I said, put up your hand if you're also really competitive and a bunch of people put up their hand and I said, see, and we're all insecure. And then they were sad that they put up their hand, so I'm not gonna do that. This. <laughs> but one of the reasons that people are super, super competitive is because they're insecure. They wanna validate themselves by winning at that balderdash or whatever. Does anyone play that game anymore? No, probably not. <clears throat> So you're in this moment, right, and you just want to validate yourself with whatever this thing is. Did I tell you a story about me golfing? Okay, so I was golfing, uh, went twice in like three days. So the first time I go, I was golfing terrible, like missing every single putt. And then on like hole eight, I got so angry, I like yelled at the people that I was golfing with. Have I told you this story before? Okay, and then, and then three days later, I went again, and I said to myself, I'm going to have a good attitude today for sure, you know? And, and I played real good, and I was having a real good attitude. You notice how sometimes it's easy to have a good attitude when everything's going well? Yeah, just a bonus truth. You can think about that later. But, um, so anyways, I was playing well. So I get to hole 12. I'm on fire, on fuego, right? And I, and I tee off on hole 12, and I hit the ball out of bounds. And you know what I did? I sulked. What, what, what do I mean by that? What I mean is, listen, what I mean is that I didn't talk for the rest of the round. And what I mean by I didn't talk, I mean I didn't say a single word to anybody, even when they talked to me, for the rest of the round. 
And then the entire ride home, like the 20-minute car ride home, didn't say a word, sulked the whole time. Have I told you this story before? No, because it happened last week. Okay. I'll tell you what will happen to you in this world. The next thing you know, you'll get caught up and you'll lose perspective and you think to yourself, I'm just some guy. I mean, you look at stupid stuff to validate yourself or I'm just some girl. Look, when you're thinking about who you're going to date or who you're going to marry, you make sure that when you don't see it, they see it. And they look at you and say, I believe you have an incredible story to tell, so tell it. Date someone who inspires you. When they say, I'll pray for you, it actually matters to you. Date someone, marry someone who's going to be a great parent. You say, that's not really that romantic, Mike. I know, but it's super important. Because if I went around here today and I talked to person after 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 person, they would tell you the scars and the pain that they still deal with today because of parents that just didn't try. Oh, parents, try. My foolproof success plan for parenting today, try. Try. Parenting is hard, right? It's stressful and it requires a lot of patience. So here's what I think you should do because it's so hard. Try. So it sounds a little simplistic, maybe even a little bit harsh, Mike. Okay, so I thought I'd try it a different way. I'm going to play some background keys. Leah, do you want to come up here and help me? Okay, because this is normally the section of the sermon. You showed me this last service, so I don't really need your help, but you're here to help me in case I need it. That's not right. Wait, the first three were right? They were? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It's nice. It is nice. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Leah. <clears throat> I'm actually going to sing also. Yep. Um, so this would normally be the time of the service. Can we switch keys now? Yeah, yeah. Switch chords? Is that what it's called? Switch chords? Is that better? Yeah. Is that better? Okay. Okay. So th- this would be normally. That was too hard. That was good. Okay. This would normally be the time of the service that I might say something like this Dad, you're a hero. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Mom. Yep. Really? I know that one. Okay. Mom, you know what? You rock. You're amazing. We're all so. Thank you, Leah. Proud of you. Um, But I'm not going to do that because I don't think what you need today is I don't think you need inspiration or motivation. I think what you do need today is... Can we thank Leah, by the way, for being amazing? I think maybe you need a reminder instead. Here's a reminder. Out of all the people on the planet that God could have chosen to be a mom or a dad to that son or daughter, he chose you. So try just try. And on the days that you don't feel like trying, ask yourself, what, what would a parent who is trying look like? And then try to try. Ask God to give you the strength to try to try. Try. So if there's a conflict between you and one of your kids, you try to make it right. If there's a distance that's grown, you try to bridge the distance. 
If you find yourself in your life where you look and you go, man, I'm just, I'm so busy, you know? I'm so busy I don't have time to build into my magnum opus. You know what magnum opus is? It means your life's work, your greatest achievement, your greatest masterpiece. That's your kids. Then what you need to do is you need to step back and you need to look and go, oh, so how can I adjust my schedule so I can pour into my masterpiece? Just try. And I know, again, it's the same thing you might think. <laughs> Would have been great to hear that like 10 years ago, Mike, or five years ago, or that mistake I made a year and a half ago. Here's the amazing thing about God. God's plan is always right now. I was a teenager when my mom and dad became Christians. And my dad told me later that one of the prayers that he prayed when they became Christians was this, God, for all the seeds that I planted that I wish I wouldn't have planted, please grant a crop failure. That's a good prayer. And God, enable me to start planting some great seeds. And then I'm praying that you would create a bumper crop. God's plan for you, Mom. God's plan for you, Dad. It's right here, right now. Just try. It wouldn't matter, you know. It wouldn't matter if you were just some guy. <laughs> it, it wouldn't matter if you were just some girl. But you're not. There's a specificity to you. There's a story that you were born to tell. And the single greatest determining factor, which will decide whether you tell the story that you were created to tell, that you were born to tell, that you were placed on this planet to tell, is whether or not you actually believe that you got a story to tell in the first place. I'll end with this. It's a story told by Barbara Glenn. She's a leadership expert. She says this, a, a few years ago, I was hired by a large supermarket chain to lead a customer service program to build customer loyalty. During my speech, I said, every one of you can make a difference and create memories for your customers that will motivate them to come back. How? Put your personal signature on the job. Think about something you can do for your customer to make them feel special. About a month after I had spoke, I received a call from a 19-year-old bagger named Johnny. This enthusiastic young man has Down syndrome. I like what you talked about, he said, but at first I didn't think I could do anything special for our customers. After all, I'm just a bagger. But then I had an idea. Every night after work, I'd come home and I'd find a thought for the day. If I can't find a say saying that I like, he added, I just think one up. When Johnny had a good thought for the day, his dad helped him set it up on the computer and print multiple copies. Johnny cut out each quote and signed his name on the back. Then he'd bring them to work the next day. When I finish bagging someone's groceries, I put my thought of the day in their bag and I say, thank you for shopping with us. It touched me to think that this young man with a job most people would say is not important had made it important by creating precious memories for all his customers. A month later, the store manager called me. You won't believe what happened. When I was making my rounds today, I found that Johnny's checkout line was three times longer than anyone else's. I went all the way around the, fro it went all the, way around the frozen food aisle. So I quickly announced, we need more cashiers, get more lanes open. And as I tried to get people to change lanes, no one would move. They said, no, it's okay. 
We want to be in Johnny's lane. We want his thought for the day. The store manager continued. It was a joy to watch Johnny delight his customers. I got a lump in my throat when one woman said, I used to stop at your store about once a month, but now I come, I come in every time I go by because I want to get Johnny's thought for the day. A few months later, the store manager called me again. Johnny has transformed our store. Now when the floral department has a broken flower or an unused corsage, they find an elderly woman or a little girl and they put it on them. Everyone's having a lot of fun creating memories. Our customers are talking about us. They're coming back and they're bringing their friends. A wonderful spirit of service spread throughout the entire store and all because Johnny chose to make a difference. Johnny's idea wasn't nearly as innovative as it was loving. It came from his heart. It was real. Someone asked Mother Teresa once, um, how can I do great things? And she said, start here. Do small things with great love. Your life is a story. So tell it. Moment by moment. Morning by morning. Step by step. Small things. Small things. Small things. With great love. I was thinking too how what's true for me and what's true for you is also true for us. We're not just some church. There's a specificity to us. That this church, Southside, this mission called Southside, we got a story to tell. We got a story to tell. Like we're for this city. And I think that we come together and we believe that uh, the single greatest determining factor that will decide whether this church tells the story that we are created to tell is do we really believe that we have a story? And so next week, Saturday, is for this city. For this city. What are we going to do? We're just going to do a bunch of small things with great love. We're going to reach out to some moms in desperate need. We're, we're going to bless some kids living below the poverty line right here in Canada. We're going to wash some cars. We're going to fill some fuel tanks. We're going to attack some English ivy. I don't really even know what that is, but we're going to attack it. It's going to wish that it never heard of us. Okay, let's put it that way. Why? Oh, because we're not just some church. We had a story to tell. And and, and here's what I think we should do. We, We should tell it. You should tell your story. I should tell my story. And then we will tell our story. And if we wake up every morning believing that, (laughs) the world will change. Why don't you stand? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the privilege of being here. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. God, give us perspective. Monday morning, on the golf course, at work, remind us of the story that you've created us to tell. And as we, step by step, we do small things with great love. Help us to tell it. We love you. Thank you for redemption. In your name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you at any of our three Sunday services held at Sardis Secondary School on Stevenson Road in Chilliwack, British Columbia.
For more information, please visit southsidelife.com.